right, everybody. Today is Veterans Day. So myself being a veteran, I brought you guys a special Veterans Day episode. And my guest today is Dr. Tommy Nash, a 25-year retired Navy officer. So this guy has a, a huge professional background that's going to bring in some amazing insights for us. So enjoy the show. And here we go. So what I was asking um, before my equipment blew up is uh, I, I totally understand the closing on a house process. And for me, closing on a house is possibly one of the most stressful situations I've had to go through in my life. I, I think I would prefer Afghanistan getting shot at. <laughs> paperwork, paperwork. They want you to color your socks and the color of your toothbrush. It, it's ridiculous how many how much you have to sign. Yeah. Uh, like I, I thought joining I thought the military like signing I thought it was ridiculous but then I bought a house and then man I, I never thought the any entity would be able to defeat the bureaucracy of the military but signing for a house definitely enough stage yep man so what what rank did you get to in the Navy uh well I went in as enlisted Mm -hmm. And uh, after I'd been in for a while, I uh, uh, applied for what we call limited duty officer program in the, in the Navy. Mm -hmm. you have, and they send your information to the Bureau in D.C., and they did, and I was selected there. And I retired as a lieutenant commander, which is equivalent to a major. You did that for retirement purposes or? Not necessarily retirement. because I well, well, even when I was enlisted in the office, I, I did not like being stagnant. So when I was uh, enlisted, you know, I was tr I always looked for ways to get ahead to better myself. And that was one way I could do it. And uh, I had already won s several uh, uh, awards, you know, like a sailor of the quarter, sailor of the year, and sailor of this year. So I, I wanted to leverage that and to go for my um, officer program. And when I did, I was selected for it. So and I, my officer uh, career started from there. So how how long were you an officer as compared to enlisted? Well, I was a uh, enlisted from 1981 to uh, 1993, and from 1993 to 2006, I was an officer. Okay, okay. So, wow. Comparatively speaking, because I know they're two completely different environments: being a non-commissioned officer versus being a commissioned officer. But what was the was the transition easy for you, or was it impossible? The... Well, it was easy. One day I was a uh, because I went up for E seven. I I made well I could have put on a uniform for E seven, but because I had already made uh, been selected for officer, so I didn't get the opportunity to put on the uniform. But one day it was E six. The next day I was an E. So they had a commission ceremony. So next, done the old, uh, get, got rid of the old uniform. The next day, had an officer uniform. 
so but mentality wise because i mean and, and i i assume the navy's like the army and the marine corps which i, I know how their structures work um an officer compared to an enlisted have two completely different jobs um so you're in you're in e6 about to be uh, e7 so and the, that's what i was in the army i was a sergeant first class which is an e7 so mm -hmm. uh, you know my role was more focused on training and uh you know uh, logistics facilitating all that stuff as opposed to the officers was more planning and the more nitty-gritty part of the leadership spectrum basically um is that about how it works in the navy it's absolutely because when you as an enlisted i was in charge of managing things and but when you become an officer you start become a leader and you start leading people and versus managing things so you're exactly right the whole aspect or the mind thought process is different because what happens you have different responsibilities you have different uh mindsets you have different uh goals that you have to attain so everything changes once you, once you put on the uniform of an officer everything changes just like if you're still enlisted e7 e8 e9 those are the big time leadership uh groups in the in the military and that, be honest with you, those are the backbone of the military. You want to be honest about it. E7, E8, E9, because you can ask any officer in any military branch who was the backbone of the military, they will quickly tell you. E7, E8, E9. And in the Navy, they're called Chiefs, Senior Chiefs, and Master Chiefs. Seven, eight, nine, And they will always, always go back to them because they had the experience, they had the knowledge, they have everything. So, but... A lot, of, a lot of times, as you have seen it also, they do the work and the officers get the credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it has to be, right? Well, no. Go ahead. Well, it doesn't have to be, but that's what a lot of them do anyway. But uh, but you hopefully they would try to turn that trend, trend around and give credit where credit is due. I mean, that's what, that's what good leaders do. Um, there you go. Some of the best leaders I've ever experienced in my life, be it a uh, uh, officer, non-commissioned officer, or civilian, uh, you know, they're quick to they're quick to accept blame, and they're slow to accept credit. Yeah, that's so, what it's all about. Make people look good instead of yourself. Right, and, and that does, especially in the corporate world, that does a a. a a whole lot for the morale of your team even in the military but uh i think more so in the corporate world world when when your team feels you give that praise instead of accepting it then that that just boosts their morale that helps bring them closer as a team and it, it just I, I can't even begin to list the number of benefits you get whenever you just turn turn away the praise and turn it back onto your team Yes, that's that's great though when you can do that. But like you said it initially, that is the sign of a true leader or effective leader. So that's what it, and people will tend to uh flock to you. They tend to do work work better for leaders that do that. So you right. know that, that's what you call influence. We start influencing, then they you, you get more buy-in that way. You get more people that's willing to work for you harder, put in the hours, put in that 
goof above and beyond for you. So that's what it's all about. Right. So your 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 doctor, Tommy Nash, tell me about school. When did you go back to school to uh, get your master's and then eventually get your PhD? Um, well, when I retired, well, actually, I started working on my uh, my um, bachelor's when I was still in the military. And uh, I think it was 2005 to 2009, I received my bachelor's in 2009. In uh, 2012, I received my master's, and I just, at that point, I thought I was just finished with education because I was tired of going to school, but something geared me up again, and I went back to school, and I received my doctorate in uh, August of 2016. What's your doctorate in? Business and education. Business and education? Mm-hmm. So, uh, of the three programs bachelor's uh grad or undergrad graduate and then doctorate which which was the hardest um i would have to say i well i want to say doctors but you know because the doctor's degree is nothing but a lot of writing anyway mm-hmm. but the thing is i like to write right. so the hardest one i think would have been master's degree because it had a lot of stuff in there that I didn't want to do, like statistics, <laughs> statistics, accounting, and a lot of other stuff. So, so I had to do it, but I didn't want to. But I think that would have been the hardest one. You know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm currently in school right now. What degree are you working on now? So right now I'm working on my uh, undergraduate to get my uh, bachelor's in um, business management, focused on leadership and uh, communications and leadership. That's great. And then. Um, I'm going to go through and get my MBA and eventually I want to get my doctorate as well, but that's, I'm probably going to take a break in between my MBA and my doctorate just because I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. It, I tell you what, it's, it, it will wear you out now. So, yeah. So, I mean, but so how did you go from Navy? Cause Correct me if I'm wrong. You you you're also a government contractor right now as well, correct? Well, I'm a federal government employee now. Uh, when I first retired from the military, I was a, a government contractor for about three years, and then I went to federal government employee, and I'm still a federal government employee now, working for TSA, Transportation Security Administration headquarters okay. in Springfield, Virginia. Okay. So, but, and then you eventually went from, well, not go, went from, but you started your own business. Uh, yes. yes. That is right. You do speaking engagements, you do leadership training. Well, what, what, what does, what do you really focus on when it comes to stuff like that? Well, yes, uh, you're right. My business is a, uh, Leadership intelligence creates uh, leadership champions. And what I focus on doing is uh, transforming managers into leaders who get results because one of the main things I speak about, I have several uh, key topics and one of them is stop managing and start leading. Because sometimes, a, a lot of time I find when I talk to uh, business owners or leaders that they still they think they're leaders, but they're not. There's a big difference between managing and leading. So. Mm-hmm. And even some of the people that I've spoken to have sizable businesses. They think they're 
leading, but they're not. So again, there's a distinct difference, but um, my business is teach them how to do the, how to transfer effective leadership uh, transformation from where they want, where they are to want, where they want to be by creating such paths that they can do that. Because a lot of leaders say, hey, I'm here, I have these pain points, but they don't know how to get from A to Z. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. That's what I do here. You know, and I say A to Z because we don't do singles here. We go from A to Z. We don't do singles. We do home run and grand slams. So from A to Z. So <laughs> I like it. We, we don't do we don't do singles. I like it. Grand slams. And that's that's how your mindset should be. But something that you said that, that really strikes me as interesting is it's actually how I got in the exact same business. When I got into the corporate world from the military, I was shocked. First of all, I was shocked about the lack of training young leaders receive from their corporate companies. Have you noticed that as well, that there's a severe lacking in leadership training? Absolutely. But guess what? It's not just the young people that lack the leadership training. There are some experienced people out there that need to be, and I, and I hate to say, well, experienced people need refreshers. Uh, I, I'll leave it like that. But but yes, young people, middle people, but every, you'd be surprised at the level of people that actually need that training, leadership mm-hmm. training, because some of them, to be honest with you, think they already know everything. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. And they forget where they came from. And they said, well, I did this. I came from here. And I started here and here I am now. Yes. What did you learn along the way? And who did you help along the way? And see, that's the thing about it. They don't want to empower anybody else. But that's the whole point of my business here is effectively. And in the military, you didn't hear the word empower so much. You heard delegate, 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 delegate. And so, you know, you delegate, delegate responsibility, but you can't delegate accountability. So, you know, that's what. When I, when I say who needs the training and who I see the most, it's it just a mixture mm-hmm. because, yeah, young, old, and in, in between. So why do you think why do you think corporations do that? Why do you think they they because because a very good difference or distinction you made is there's a difference between managing and leading. And I don't know what your stance is. There is a very, especially you get on LinkedIn and you bring up the difference between managers and leaders. You're going to have a week long thread of various different opinions on managers and leaders. My personal opinion Mm -hmm. is that an effective leader is able to do both. You have to do both. You have to manage, but you also have to understand the difference between managing and leading. I'm managing whenever I'm dealing with payroll and time i am leading when i'm dealing with the personal end of the spectrum would you agree with that that is true but let me i would just like to add as well you know the bottom line is for me in my mindset here where management stops and leadership starts you know i i I look at it this way management controls the day-to-day operation and they focus on deadlines and solving immediate problems now, when we're talking about leadership, leadership envisions a new future or a way ahead. And also, it creates paths forward. But, you know, I said a few minutes ago, management uh, solves 
and media problems. Well, leadership does too, but they solve future problems as well. And leadership inspires change. And leadership is also more about uh, influence, okay? And, and a lot of folks don't know, but leadership is, is, is all about behaviors. Not It's not a position, it's not a title, if you will. It's about behaviors and how you use those behaviors. So that's, that's exactly what leadership is all it is. I agree 100%. And a lot, uh, one of my favorite examples uh, uh, of anyone is a leader, it's not a title, it's, it's how you approach life. It's, uh, you know, back in World War II, uh, the German anti-tank mines were ravishing, ravishing our, our tank forces. And I'm sure you've seen in the movies, a mine flail, it's those big drums on the front of the tanks that spun chains around real fast. Mm -hmm. A private invented that. Uh, the lowest ranking enlisted man in, in the army is the one that invented the mine flail. He saw the problem, he invented a way to fix it. That is that is leadership. A, a leader sees problems and then finds ways to fix them. So, yes, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. But what what I what I struggle to wrap my mind around is why we don't focus. Why why do we struggle so much? Why why does someone like you and me? go into a, a situation and instantly see a lack of leadership and obviously the rest of the world is missing it well that could be a couple of reasons for cause one and i and i and i say this sometimes too we have a military background okay we are accustomed to structure we are accustomed to some form of organization that is built a certain way with leadership doing certain things. Now, in the private industry, even though they do have leaders that are, they, they should have some kind of structure, some of them have blinders on. And some of them are very susceptible to being lenient when it comes to leadership. And some of them do things to keep their job. Whether, you know, so if they speak out or say something, hey, leader, hey, we should be doing this this way to achieve a certain goal or do a certain thing, that might not sit so well with others. In the military, we knew what our goal was. We knew what we had to achieve. Well, because we had to be cohesive about it. Even though you would think the same thing within uh, private industry, sometimes their goals fluctuate. And even though they should be uh, striving for the same goal, they, they have sometimes uh, floating goals or, and it becomes, you know why it happens? It's because lack of communication. But I wanna say something, what you, you, you brought up something a few minutes ago, you actually brought up two very important things, Dave. You said about titles. And when you start talking about history, you know, some of the most successful and some of the most important leaders in the world did not have a title or mm -hmm. a position. And yes, the most successful leader. But then you brought up the ideas. And I was so glad you said that about a private because you know some of the best ideas, some of the most successful ideas come from the lower ranks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And that's, and, and that's military and private industry. 100%. Yep. 
Yep. And, you know, another point you brought up that really is important to me is, you know, the the leaders that have their blinders on or, well, well, we'll just focus on the blinders for a second. You know, I've been I've been working with this guy recently who feels like he has to do everything. He has to take control of everything. He has to have all the answers. And it's like, man, you have a team. Listen, listen to your team. Do you like your team? Yeah, I, I love my team. Do you trust your team? Yeah, I trust them with everything, except doing this stuff that you're doing. And then my, my point to him is, look, as a leader, your job is to make decisions, right? Timely, accurate decisions. You don't need to understand every single detail of that decision as long as you have someone on your team that understands and they're advising you in a specific way and you trust this person you can say to them hey is this a good idea when they say yes that's all you need to know what what do you think about that what do you uh, basically what i'm saying is a, a good leader surrounds themselves with people one that they can trust and two people that know the job that they can pull wisdom from. You know, one, one of the first things I did when my, I started my company is I started looking for the OGs to help mentor me through the process of starting my own company. I didn't try to do it on my own. I didn't expect to have the knowledge that I needed to do it, right? So I looked for the OGs. What 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 is your thoughts on on the OG, well, yes. Well, you're exactly right. Because anybody that thinks they can do it by themselves has a very mistaken. And I did the same thing. I went looking for people with the OGs and people that have been been there before me. But because I don't know everything, I, I, I need to know how to do this. And there are other people that have already been there that can give me that information. You know, and I would listen to you as you were talking. I was writing notes here. You're talking about the control, the delegation, and empowerment and team. But see, part of team building, part of the team building is trust building. You have to build that trust. Mm -hmm. and if, But it goes both ways. It's both ways up and down and not just one way. So mm -hmm. you, the, the leaders have to trust the team and the team have to trust the leaders because if they don't, you're going to have a lack of productivity. But mm -hmm. you, it sounds like that friend you're talking about, he has, a, he has a problem with delegation. We just spoke about that. But when you're doing that, you're talking about uh, empowerment, Steve. Um, uh, blueprint, you need a blueprint for empowerment. And, and that's what it sounds like he needs, or otherwise, he's going to end up doing it all himself. And this, then you're nev that's, that's never a win-win situation because to work with true leaders, they want to add something to the world. They want to create something and value and not just make money. But the thing is, they cannot do it by themselves. They cannot. And if they do think they can, then if it's not working, it's going to be it's time to pivot. And I've not seen anybody yet that has a team that can do it all by themselves. No, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, there are, there are a list of issues that can come from trying to do it yourself. Just, just from the person, the, the, the personal aspect of the leader, you're looking at health problems trying to, cause you're, you know, when you're trying to do it all on your own and that's what I told him is dude, you're hurting your health right now. You're under so much stress 
the the you're hurting your your health you're hurting your your family relationships like just because you bottle all that stress up doesn't mean your family doesn't feel it just because they don't say something doesn't mean they don't see it like you're hurting everything around you by trying to do everything yourself you have to trust your team and i love what you said about trust going both ways because you're absolutely correct uh, you, I can't expect anyone to trust me if I'm not willing to trust them first and vice versa. Yeah, and that's true. And, you know, like in the Navy, the first time I heard the word micromanaging, I'm not sure if you guys use it in the, uh, in the Army, but and that's what I first learned, micromanaging. Please, look, nobody likes a micromanager. And, 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 and what it does, it creates animosity within the team, creates confusion within the team. As your mm -hmm. micromanager, if you're going to receive an order or directive to do something, yet that person that told you to do it is there micromanaging all the way, you wonder why did you even tell me to do it? You have to let people uh, do things. You have to give them room to fail. Believe it or not, if we fail, that is some of the best teachers that we have. Because if we fail once, we learn from that. But you have to be willing to let them do it. But you mm -hmm. can't micromanage them all the time. If you do, you're not allowing them to grow. I love that. I call it failing softly. You allow your team to fail softly. Yes. In other words, you, you see the problem coming. You know it's going to fail. But you, you're there to cushion the blow so it doesn't hit them like a freight train as it would normally. And you allow them to softly land and, and learn from their mistake. That, that is huge. And the other thing that I really I want to touch on is you talk about empower. You've said it several times now, empowerment. My my belief is the number one responsibility of any leader. I don't care who it is. The number one responsibility of any leader is to make a bunch of mini leaders. Your your job is to teach more than it is to delegate, more than it is to facilitate, more than it is to crunch numbers, work spreadsheets, uh, your number one goal, your number one job is to teach leadership to your subordinates. And doing this, you're going to create an atmosphere of super productivity. Your, your team is going to trust you. They're going to trust each other. They're going to understand each other on a different level because the, the leadership that they're getting trained is coming from you, the one source everyone speaks that language, your communication is going to be off the charts. I, I love the empowerment piece that you're talking about. Well, you know, and, and it goes so much better farther than that, Steve. Are you talking about that? What you're describing is facilitated employee growth. And when doing so, you empower employees, you're giving them every opportunity to better themselves. And you, and, and you know what? It includes that training that you spoke about earlier. Because you got to remember, iron sharpens iron, and mm -hmm. you have to help the employees by setting, helping them to set personal goals for their jobs. But then, at the at the same time, you have to give them every opportunity and resource available to help them get to that point to be better. So, in other words, we're teaching them to fish. And I remember I said a few minutes ago, you got to be willing to let the employees fail because mm -hmm. that's how we learn. And, and, you know, in the military, we had this term, Bravo Zulu, which means really good, really good job. But guess what? 
It only takes one all shucks to erase 10 Bravo Zulus. So that's something we need to remind, be mindful of. But leaders, they must be the example instead of an example. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much more to that. Be the coach. Get them out of the stands, put them on the, on the court. That's what they need to do when you're facilitating employee growth. 100%. And so the other thing I think that goes hand in hand with that is not only are you teaching, you, not only are you teaching them to lead, but you're teaching them to lead themselves, which you, you touched on briefly in, in what you just said. But in order to lead someone else, you have to be able to lead them, lead yourself first. Oh man! If you can't lead yourself, then you might as well just quit the game because you ain't, you're not going to be able to lead anyone else. So, what what does leading yourself mean to you? Well, it's just man, I tell you, self reflection and what that's what that is because you have to be the leader of one before you be the leader of many. And you know, I just did a um, a post, I think it was the day before yesterday, or whatever it was on LinkedIn and a bunch of other places. Uh, on Facebook about that very subject that you just said, becoming you have to become a leader of one before you become a leader of many. It's self-reflection is what it's all about because you have to be able to, if you don't self-assess self yourself, you're not going to realize your mistakes. You're not going to realize your shortcomings because you're going to think you're still doing everything right. But before you can remove the splinter in somebody else's eye, you need to remove the plank in your own eye before you're going forward, so you can see clearly how to help someone else. Otherwise, your vision is going to be disturbed. But becoming a leader of oneself, that, and, and, and that is a very difficult uh, uh, challenge because a lot of people, a lot of leaders, are not, they don't know how to lead themselves. But you have to start at the beginning. You have to Realize what are my shortcomings? What are the things that I, I like doing? What are some of the things I can do better? It's so much involved when you start talking about self-reflection. Man, that, that, that's really powerful. So I'm a leader, Dr. Nash, that is struggling with self-reflection. Where? What's the first thing you're going to start me on? What is the first path of my trying to make me understand that I need to self-reflect or not, not under, like, I know I need to, but I need to understand better how to do it. What, what's the first path you're going to set me on when it comes to self-reflection? Well, when you start talking about self-reflection, you got to realize who you are because a lot of people, they don't even, they don't know who they are, but you got to realize what your barriers are. Steve, you have to understand okay, what are some of my physical and what are some of my mental barriers? Once you realize what they are, but you, you can categorize those. And a lot of things, are, um, okay, keep a journal. When I say self-reflection, keep a journal. I know a lot of folks say, all right, what is keeping a journal going to do for me? It's going to do a lot for you. Why? Because you're going to write down right here where you started at, and you can do it daily. And I recommend doing it daily. And then weekly, you could check on it. And you start here. And why I say, and I, I, I'm, I am, I would have to say that I did not believe in journal, journaling at first. But one of the first things you can do, 
write down some of your things that you want to accomplish. What are your goals? What are you doing right? What are you doing wrong? What do people think that you are doing? How is your communication skills? And write that down on the beginning every day. The next next week, look at it and look and say, what changes have I made? Have I become better in myself and my mind? And you do that for a while and continue to do it. And I did it for a long time after I started. And I, and after I looked at it, I said, wow, I have come a long way. And guess what? If I can do that, anybody can do that. Because you have to realize who you are first. Then once you realize that, you say, all right, I need to be better here. I need to be better there. And if you start self-evaluating, looking at yourself, but oh, by the way, don't be too hard on yourself. You have to give yourself some grace because mm. we can, we have the tendency to be very hard on ourselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Give yourself grace and let yourself know, hey, I can do it, but you need to do it in moderation. And you can do it because, look, little steps count. Every little win is a win. Okay? So when you're doing that, in essence, when you're doing self-evaluation sometimes, you're motivating yourself. But let me tell you something, Steve. When your motivation is doing self-evaluation, you're not just making yourself better. You're making everybody else around you better too. Okay? Especially if you're the leader of that group, a team, or whatever. They see you. They're watching you because you are the example. And they're watching you. You know, people are watching even when you don't think they're watching. They are. That's what I tell a lot of people. That's why they always, always tell them to be the very best version of themselves that they can because they're being watched. But part of being that very first, best version of themselves, they have to do a self-evaluation, a self-reflection. Otherwise, is it going to be true? No, probably not. Man, that's, that is great advice. And I, I held up my journal that I keep. Look um, at you. See, I know. I, uh, I'm right there with you. Um, and I, I, I'll admit whenever it first got suggested to me, I thought it was sissy, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, <laughs> girl, little teenage girls keep okay. a diary. You know, I'm a grown man. I'm not keeping a diary, but no, it, it really does work. And the most important thing to me about it is that I'm honest, brutally honest. Um, but like you said, I understand that I have to give myself grace. I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. And I'm doing this to get better. But what I really want to key, on, key in on on what you just said is little wins are still wins. And that instantly reminded me of someone you, you've probably heard of or maybe even know, Admiral uh, McMillan, I think was his name. McRaven? McMillan, yeah. McMillan, yes. Yeah. McRaven. Uh, yeah, he um, he did a speech for, at Texas University, a keynote speech for their, their graduation, and he talked about tips for success. Um, and he's a, uh, I guess, a former Navy SEAL. And one of the things he talked about, the very first thing is making your bed every morning. And he said, the reason it's important to make your bed every morning is because you start your day off very first thing with a win. Because you know how to make your bed. You can't screw it up, right? 
So you're instantly starting your day off on a positive foot because you've you've got one small win already in the book. I cannot stress the, the importance enough of ha having those small wins. And when you journal and you go back and you're like, you know, a month ago, I did this or I was thinking this, but now I've been able to correct that behavior and I'm still struggling with it, but now it's not as aggressive or as bad or, you know, somewhere it's improved. That is a small win. And that gives you momentum. I'm sure you've heard of Dave Ramsey. He calls it the snowball effect. One small, yeah. you, you pay off the smallest debt and then it snowballs into the next debt. And it, it's it, the snowball effect is absolutely true and it works. And I love what you're talking about. Small wins, man. Small wins are so important. Yeah, so, but see, go ahead. Each, I'm sorry. Each, but see, each step that you take is a step closer to learning how to be um, the best best self. Because each victory, each victory is a goal implemented. That's a goal attained. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, man, are you a uh, you're so you're actively speaking right now. You you mentioned you still yes, work speaking, for the TSA. Yeah. Okay, where yes, where I do, do but you I find do, your speeches? Yeah, I, still, do you I, I do speak. Okay, do do you, are you any of your speeches on YouTube? Can we find them? Oh yeah, uh, some of them are on YouTube and some are on uh, uh, various places. A lot of them I, I do straight from uh. Uh, you can go in there and look me up on on YouTube, my name, and it should come up. And then there are some I did on uh, Facebook, some I did uh, several places. Like I'm, I was going to do it this year, but I did it last year. I spoke in front of a like what was forty seven thousand people, but that was online. And then there's a lot. Sometimes it's just a lot of people are speaking. Uh, if they may be uh, a lot of them were online, uh, uh, so but virtual. Okay. Some of them weren't. But uh, it's various, depending on right now, it's starting to come back uh, in person a lot. Before, due to the pandemic, it was uh, virtual a lot. But some people still rather do virtual, believe it or not. But mm -hmm. it's just a mixture of it. Okay. Um, actually, I was about to, about to wrap this up, but I just had a question pop in my head, and I'd really love your thoughts because you started talking about virtual. I believe the way of the world is going to be remote. Everyone's remote work now. I believe it's it's in, indefinite. There's no avoiding it. Um, people just don't want to work in an office anymore. They'd rather work at home. Which, I mean, I work at home, so I understand that. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Do, do you agree with me? Do you think it's inevitable that it's going to happen? Well, you know what, Steve? Let me tell you this way. Yes, and no, uh, it, it may get there, but it's not going to get there without a fight if it does happen. And, I, and the reason I say that is, even right now, where I work, you know, it's been proven that we could work remote and be successful at it. Before the pandemic, you know, we were doing working from home maybe once one day a week or whatever, but once the pandemic happened and we had to work from home forever, what it seemed like forever, and we proved 
without a shadow of a doubt that we could do that and do it and make it successful. Now that the pandemic is over, and and, and especially given that our TSA had a brand new building built, they want people in the seats. And mm -hmm. they think they're losing money that way. And they are losing money that way. So that's why I say it's gonna be not it's not it's not gonna happen without a fight. But to your point, it has been proven people around the globe, not just the United States, but everywhere, they they have proven that the remote work works. And the thing is, the reason people like it so much, they're at home. They're mm -hmm. arms lamps away from their refrigerator <laughs> or whatever it is they need. Yeah. And and they don't have to say, hey, I'm going to get up and go to... They go to the refrigerator, get what they want, or cook them a little break or whatever. It doesn't matter. They're home and they enjoy it. And they are having problems now, not just the government, but other places and private industry as well of getting people to come back to work. And it may be because now, just like you said, people don't want to work. Uh, some of them don't want to work anyway. But some of them, even when you give them remote work, they still have a challenge, um, you know, doing it, mm -hmm. doing that too. People going to sleep, waiting. I mean, come on. We've been doing this long enough. Now you, they should know that mm -hmm. do's and don'ts of remote work. Yet people still getting caught in uh, mm -hmm. compromising situations, you know. But the remote work, we have proven across the nation that it works. Right. So my next question to you is, you, I'm leading a remote team. What changes about my leadership? What 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 is a what is what needs to be a necessity to change? Like what? I, I don't have that personal interaction with them anymore. So how am I going to change my leadership style to still be an effective leader? Does it change at all? Well, yeah. Let me tell you something, Steve. See, that's when the pandemic happened. It exposed a lot of things. And one thing that I suppose is, okay, you're not there with your teams anymore, so you have to do it online, virtual. And something that you have to do to maintain your leadership is communicate, 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 communicate. You call your and and I'm it's because you know we get stuck behind this email electronic version of communication, but yes, you can do that too. But don't let that be your only way. Get on the phone, call some of your team members, and say, hey. Surprise them. That will carry so much weight. If they hear you say, hey, you know, how you doing? Very, are you okay? I just want to call and check on you. That have a lot of weight. That mm -hmm. shows leadership. That shows forethought, okay? And when you do that, people think, you, okay, I am, they care about me. People want to know that you care. Mm -hmm. They want, that's how you get them to buy in. If you don't buy in, if they don't get that, you don't get them to buy in, you're not going to have a successful team. Mm -hmm. Okay? You got to keep camaraderie uh, cohesiveness to, uh, together. And you do that by making people feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. Then you can go out there and stretch your leadership and show them your leadership styles. And by the way, and I'm going to hopefully, it's a situational leadership style because no, there's no cookies cutter leadership style that fits mm -hmm. everything. So you'd be willing to do that. You have, to be, you have to be flexible with that when you're doing virtual. But you have to be Fast on your feet too, because if not, people get bored, Steve, when you're doing things like that. You got to keep them energized. Mm -hmm. And you have to keep them 
challenge. Yes, even grown people like they have they must be challenged. Otherwise, mm -hmm. they're going to get bored. But you, as a leader of a team, you have to look when you're doing your team building. You have to think about all of that kind of stuff. What would be the best setting? Who would be the best leaders? Who who surround? You, you know, you started your the whole conversation in the very first beginning. You said surrounding you yourself with the right people. That's what it's all about. But right. even if you don't have all the right people, you as a leader have to be willing to teach them the right way. Make them the right way. That's why people. you're in that position. That's why you are the leader. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think the number one focus for a leader of a remote team has to be communication, not just mm -hmm. on a computer and Zoom. Like you said, phone calls text messages just constant not constant i don't want to say constant continuous communication open communication and uh one of my suggestions to someone was i i, I always suggest to leaders that they get their hands dirty with their team they you know i got a i got a team member over here stacking boxes I go over and help said team members stack boxes. And one of the things I stress is when you go to help that team member stack boxes, you are not leading or managing that situation. They are. They were doing just fine before you showed up. Because what you were talking about earlier, that goes into micromanaging. No, you show up to offer your help and what they are doing. If they ask for your guidance, then of course you give it to them. Or actually, if it's me, most of the time I tell them, well, what do you think? Figure it out. But anyway, my, my point is for a remote leader, they really need to be involved in what the team is working on. So, and again, you're not jumping in, taking charge of the project, but you're helping them do what they need. You know, my first question when I do that is, how can I help you? Just that simple question. Well, I could really use your help typing up this PowerPoint. Too easy. What do you want me to say? And then I start working on it. Um, so that 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 is huge. Communication, man, you're, you're right on with that. My next question, however, is what is going to be so detrimental about remote work? Because there, there, there are going to be positives. But I, with every with every positive, there has to be a negative. What negatives are we are we going to see with remote work? Do you think? Well, if that's the way that the company uh, at the end concludes that they're going to do it is by remote, well, they're going to have to figure out how to make folks accountable, because that's that's what a lot of the problem has been have been is accountability. And I say that because, for example, if are you really doing work? Mm -hmm. If you're at home, are you really being accountable doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you being productive? Um, the, the government had that problem, and in so a lot of areas, and they, the people online on a computer, but they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. How mm -hmm. are you going to find out? How do you? One way, of productivity. You, if, several ways you can do it. Have them submit to you what the, what the plan of the work is for the day, and mm -hmm. what you what they accomplished for that day. 
uh, did you this is what you set out to do? Did you finish it? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's it may take also some communications throughout the week. You may want to have a group communication, like maybe once or twice a week. You know, all, all hands or something. Mm -hmm. But the most detrimental thing is going to be accountability because people will always, always look for ways to get around stuff. <laughs> that's, that's just the human nature. That's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. In, and when you talk about the... honesty, that's what it's about. You got to build it. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about that, I don't know if you have this in the Navy but we definitely do in the army. We call it the E4 mafia. Yeah. You ever heard that term before? So I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The, the E4 is that. Uh, so for the listeners that aren't military and don't know an E4 is in the army is a specialist. I don't know what they are in the Navy, but um, basically it's, it's the, the, the pivot point between having absolutely no leadership slash responsibility to having leadership and responsibility from going to just enlisted to a non-commissioned officer and the e4s they they have experience and they have time and you know not a whole lot but a little bit but what they have learned the most is how to sham how to get away with literal murder and hide from every ounce of work they will ever see and it's funny, but it's incredibly frustrating at the same time because these dudes, man, I've seen some, I've seen some E4s that have perfected the art of not working. Yeah. And they get, and they, and, and you know what? And those are what we call lifer E4s, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? I have seen them and every, every branch has them. They, and, and you're right. From E4 to E5 or E5, E6, some people shun the responsibility, don't even want to take the uh, advancement exams or to be promoted, promotion exam, because they don't want their responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they want to stay that. And, but you know what, the thing about it, they have the knowledge, but they just don't want the responsibility. Because yeah, I think it's lazy. Uh, yeah, because lazy. along uh, being promoted come added responsibility. They don't want it. Mm -hmm. they'd rather uh, be an E4 for life and rather than get to have to be responsible for anything right and I, I can't understand that mindset to save my life um, I've never been like that in fact I get upset if I'm not progressing fast enough I, I feel you because I that's one reason why I became an officer because I didn't like being stagnant and right. I still don't yeah absolutely so, Dr. Nash, tell us tell us where to find you. You said you have a website. Yes, I do. Uh, what is my website? It's, uh, website is www.coga, Charlie Oscar, Golf Alpha, Koga, uh, Leadership Champions at Yahoo. That's my, uh, I mean, at dot com. That's my, uh, that's my website. And uh, if you want to get me uh, via um, email, uh, you can also uh, get me at leadershipchampions.yahoo.com. Okay. So they, and then those are the two on, ways to get me. You're on Instagram or Twitter? or well, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn? And if you go in there and type my name on LinkedIn, you'll see it. If you type my name on uh, um, 
Facebook, you see me, Dr. Tommy okay. Nash. It'll come, it'll come right up. All right. Well, Dr. Nash, I thoroughly thank you for your service. First of all, um, 25 years of naval service is not something to, to shake a stick at. Um, so from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your service to this country and your continued service with the TSA. And uh, thank you for being here and sharing us, uh, with us your valuable insights tonight. Uh, I really, really have enjoyed uh, hearing your thoughts and honestly got quite a bit of inspiration from you. So again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it and thank you for your service too. Remember, it's not about how fast you're going, as long as you continue to move, okay? All right. <laughs> I was about to ask you for, for one final word of wisdom, but you beat me to the punch. I appreciate that. All right, everybody. All right. Again, my name is Stephen Morris. Thank you so much for joining us on the Renowned Leadership Podcast, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Sweet getting too much, but I can't pull back. Though I try to resist, I can't fight this. And no one. All right, everybody, that wraps up today's special episode on Veterans Day. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, listening to Dr. Tommy Nash. And his final word of wisdom was pretty amazing. Always keep that in the back of your mind. It doesn't matter how fast you're going as long as you're just moving. That is a huge mindset buffer. We should always, always keep that in the back of our mind. And I'm going to take just a second and uh, get real with my fellow veterans. Um, if any of you are struggling or if you know a veteran that is struggling, share this podcast with them. Tell them to fast forward all the way to the end because this message is for you guys. I just want to let you all know you're not alone. I know, I know it can seem dark sometimes. I've been there. But I promise when, when you come to the other side, when you're standing where I'm standing, looking back, and, and looking back at, at my struggles, it, it, it's not as dark as, as they seem to be. Fortunately for me, I reached out and got help uh, when I needed it. I, I promise all of you that seeking help is not a weakness. There are a million resources for, for veterans. You can uh, call the Veterans Crisis Line, uh, 1-800-273-TALK, press one for veterans, 24 seven. You can also call Vets for Warriors, 855-838-8255. Again, 24 seven, text, email, chat, phone, all these resources, and there's a million more, TAPS, Military One Source, seek out these resources get help don't for the love of god don't take your life it's not it's not worth it you have value i promise you do and like dr tommy nash said it's not about how fast you're going as long as you're just moving and if you're if you're breathing if you're moving then you have value in this life so reach out to those resources of course, you can always email me, sjmorris at renownedleadership.com. I'll be happy to uh, help you find the resources you need or the outlets that you need. But uh, 22 veterans a day take their life, and that's way too many. 
So sorry to uh, get a little rear. Bleh, sorry, can't speak. Sorry to get a little real at the end of this. But I hope you all have a great weekend. And uh, to all the veterans from the bottom of my heart, I just wanted to say thank you for the, the service you've provided to this country. To all the Gold Star families, I just want to say thank you for the sacrifices that you've made for this country. From the bottom of my heart, I mean that. So, all right, guys, that wraps it up. I'll see you guys again, again next week.